0: episode 18 my name's dime collector i'm going to be your host and we've got a very special guest today a silver black expert we should say this is james all the way from milwaukee how's it going man hey going good jason how are you Not too bad. I'm really excited to talk about the Silver Black format today, which you and I have been really diving deep into, I think, for the past at least month or two.
1: Yeah, well, for the past four months, it's probably been my favorite format this season, I guess.
0: Yeah, I actually totally agree with you there. I think it's on par with Popper, if not at times even more fun to play. So uh, it's something I think that has been a bit underappreciated, at least relative to how cool it actually is.
1: Yeah, I don't think it gets enough notice. I think uh, I found the format through you, but I'm not really sure how else I would have found it. So uh, maybe this will help the community a little bit.
0: I definitely hope so. So that is going to be the topic of the episode today. We're going to be talking about the Silver Black format. We're going to start out by just talking about what is Silver Black, because I'm sure a lot of you guys have never heard of it before. And then we'll also kind of discuss briefly Why it's important that we even talk about this format, because this is a popper podcast, but at times we do like to branch out and talk about other budget formats. So you guys may remember back in episode eight, it was a while ago, we did talk about other budget formats, and this is the first time we ever even discussed Silver Black in any capacity. So what Silver Black is is well yeah it's actually short for modern silver black we tend to call it silver black for short but it's essentially a rareless modern format so it has the same card pool as modern but there are only commons or uncommons so hence the name silver black when you look at a common or uncommon card its rarity is denoted by the fact that the logo will be in black or in silver since this is a an offshoot of the modern format, it's kind of interesting because the ban list is adopted from the modern ban list. So any commons or uncommons that are banned in modern are also banned in silver black. And I think most notably, you've got cards like Ponder, Preordain, and Rite of Flame, among others, that aren't legal here. There are two cards that have been added specifically to Silver Black's ban list, and that includes Bloodbraid Elf, which is a defining card in the regular modern format, obviously one of the best cards in the Jun deck that is so prominent there, and then also Intangible Virtue, which is a an enchantment from Innistrad. It's a colorless and white that gives uh, creature tokens plus one, plus one, and Vigilance. So speaking of of just the defining aspects of the format, I'm going to... Pass it off to you, and could you just maybe say in your thoughts what you think defines the format and what it's comprised of and, and, you know, why it's so appealing to you?
1: Well, cost, just like uh, popper, is a big issue here. You can get a lot of the low-income, really low entry-point level players coming in. They can play this format, you know, have a lot of fun. It's a really new format. I'm kind of a brewer, like you know, so this is kind of where I come to go and make new decks test them out have a lot of fun that way what we found was there was a big five decks that are being played in this format right now uh we had the the Ameritron, which is a blue white red tron deck spirits uh red and green tron uh infect deck and a red deck wins deck so that made up around 40 percent of the meta this season i believe
0: so I definitely want to talk a little bit more about popular decks in the metagame. But first, I just want to tell people um, the reason we're covering this format and why it's important to learn about it. Not only is it a format that we both enjoy and we're trying to popularize and help people kind of jump on board with, but even as a pauper player, I think it's going to be pretty valuable to, as a mental exercise, look into other formats that are similar that are related to popper this format is very is closely related to popper because it 's essentially a step up in rarity and power level from popper because we 're moving into the, the uncomments and what that does when you start to analyze card design and rarity and power level is you start to think more about what type of effects will exist at certain rarities and you'll and you'll tend to see why certain cards are printed at common at and at uncommon so when you go back to playing Popper you can compare and see which of the actual commons are kind of pushed on power level or, or at the cream of the crop so I mean I think that's a fairly good reason why people should at least branch out and look at some of the related formats and as like you said this is a budget format as well and in a lot of cases, the decks in Silver Black are cheaper than the Popper decks, which is kind of, you wouldn't really expect that, I think, just because there's so many uncommons present in this format.
1: Right. And the demand's not there because it's not a, a realized format by Magic yet, either.
0: The other thing about this format is that it's player-run. These are what we call player-run events. The biggest supporter of the Silver Black format currently is Gatherling.com, which is a website that sponsors a whole number of player-run events, everything from actual modern and popper events to things like this, which are more niche formats. With Silver Black, it's actually something that has just completed the second season. They do a 16-week-long season with events happening every single week. So it's very easy to jump into one of these events. You register your deck. You can do it minutes before the event starts and it's at no cost to you whatsoever. These events are free to enter and they do pay out in prizes depending, (coughs) excuse me, depending on how well you actually do. So I definitely want to talk a little bit more about some of those big five decks that you mentioned for the format, starting with Ameritron, which is the one uh, you mentioned first. So essentially this is what's called a Tron deck. And this right. means that it uses the Urza lands, which are lands uh, called Urza's Tower, Urza's Mine, and Urza's Power Plant. And once you have all three of these lands onto the battlefield, they'll all produce extra mana for you. So the Mine and the Power Plant will each produce two colorless, and the the uh, tower will produce three colorless. So it's a way for you to ramp up your mana and play some very big spells.
1: It's very comparable for uh, the post decks and
0: popper. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. And I think when we look at this big five, another interesting thing is that each of these decks has, well, I guess with the exception of spirits, the other, the other decks definitely have some sort of modern equivalent that you've seen at least in tournament play at some point in time. Absolutely. So with the Ameritron deck, the, the America part of the, the name is because it's playing blue, white, and red. And it's essentially a mix of a control deck and a ramp deck that's simultaneously kind of ramping up its mana, fixing its colors while playing counter spells, removal, sweepers, in order to get to a late game of um, locking the game out with a spell called Spellburst, which is sort of the cap size of the format because it's a buyback spell that counters a spell with converted mana cost X. So it's a repeatable counterspell. And then I suppose the Ulamog's crusher of this format is Artisan of Kozilek, which is a 9-mana Eldrazi creature. When he's cast, he brings a creature from the graveyard onto the battlefield. And then, of course, he's got the huge stats. I believe he's a 10-9 creature with Annihilator 2, so... Pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty crazy. And it
1: doesn't have to attack every turn, like the little knock.
0: <laughs> Yes, yeah, that's, that's actually a pretty big deal. You can leave him up on D. So, yeah, and like you said, the the other uh, decks in the big five, there, there is a spirits deck that exists, and it utilizes um, uncommons like Lingering Souls, which is a very popular card, at least um, in Standard and Modern, and it utilizes Anthem effects such as Drogskull Captain, which gives all spirits plus one, plus one, and Hexproof, all other spirits. And then Celestial Crusader, which is a flash split-second creature with flying that gives all white creatures, and this is all white creatures, so your opponents as well, gives them all plus one, plus one. So it's a sort of mid-range deck that wants to kill with flyers in the air. You get a critical mass of guys, and you pump up their power and toughness. And then... Uh, again, with the, the rest of the big five here, there's also a green-red Tron deck, which bears a lot of similarities to the modern equivalent. So it's more of a dedicated ramp deck doing some of the same things, but it's more focused on land destruction and a little more dedicated just to assembling Tron and searching out for those pieces.
1: It's more creature-based also than, than Maritron.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's got more wind conditions, more... Disruptive threats and more mid-rangey threats, I guess you could say. And then lastly, there's two more decks. There's an infect deck in this format. It's a mono, typically mono green, sometimes blue green. It just like any other infect deck, it's playing the early infect creatures like Glistener Elf and pumping them for all they're worth with uh, a number of different pump spells in the format and some other protection spells to keep their guys alive or get them through blockers and stuff like that.
1: That Infect deck is actually pretty funny because the the Popper version of it may be even powerful than the the Silver Black version.
0: Yeah, and I think that's actually a good thing for this format because uh, this Infect deck is not as explosive as the Popper version. Like you said, that is very ironic because there, there is no invigorate or lotus petal in this format. So right. it, it less consistently is going to kill you on turn two. I think this is probably the fastest deck in the format, but it's not, it won't be as consistent with its quick wins. And there's more things to interact with the infect deck because when you get into uncommons, you get more sweepers, you get more removal, more, more interactive things that are cheap. That you can do to keep yourself alive,
1: yeah, the matchup's a lot more fun in the silver black than if you're playing the popper in fact deck, I would say
0: and lastly we and part of the big five is a deck that both of us are kind of pretty familiar with at this point, which <laughs> red deck wins, and yep. every format has to have a red deck i <laughs> if you don't something is definitely wrong, and this red deck is is pretty good. I think you and I have done a lot to try and tune it and optimize it as best as we can. And we put up some decent results with it. We also both took Mono Red to championships, which is something we're going to talk about a little bit later. So, I mean, this is pretty straightforward. You attack the opponent. You burn them. You, you basically just try and kill them really quickly. So um, that's a basic summary of the top five decks in the format. There are a number of other decks, and there's really no one defining archetype that you have to play in this format, it's pretty wide open. Similar to Popper. I think, you know, each deck only takes up a small percentage, relatively small percentage of the metagame, and it's very wide open. There are a lot of opportunities to cash out in one of these events with any kind of deck, um, and we've seen that quite a bit, I think.
1: Right. There's also a lot of room to explore in the format. There's so many more decks that could be out there for next season.
0: Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about is just a general recap of Season 2, which just completed recently, earlier this week, and it was something that we were both a part of for quite a bit, and actually you in particular, you ended up taking first place in the season leaderboard, so that means that of, of all the players that played Silver Black this season, you accumulated the most points, you You played um, a number of decks across the format and you had good success pretty much throughout the season here. And it was an interesting race throughout the season, I think, trying to accumulate points for a while. I was not even in the top eight. But as people started to disappear, I guess we could say there were a number of people who were at the forefront of the leaderboard and then they stopped coming to events. So it gave people like you and I more of an opportunity to, to place higher and higher. So like we said, uh, season two has just finished. It was 16 weeks long. I guess technically it was a little bit longer because there were uh, a few delays and there were some side, not side events, but alternate format events that happened on a couple weeks. But the actual Silver Black play was 16 weeks long. Mm-hmm. This was the only the second season for uh, Silver Black, as it exists on gatherling.com. So for you and I, this was our first real foray into it. And we pretty much uh, competed semi-regularly throughout the whole season. So why don't you go ahead and talk about how your experience went playing this format and maybe some highlights or anything you really wanted to talk about?
1: All right. Well, uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, Like you said, it was our first season. So right away I was thinking, what am I going to play? So, really, when when a format's new, people don't really know what they're playing, I kind of tend to just pick a monocolored aggressive deck, so I kind of just fell in love with uh, red deck wins. So, that's kind of what I played for about 80% of the season. Um, started off pretty strong, a couple 3-1s and a 4-0, and then I kind of, you know, went around at other decks and tried them out and didn't do so well, so... I guess if I were to do it over, I think I would just keep running Red Deck Wins if you're if you're new.
0: <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, you know, I played Red Deck Wins a bit as well in in season 2 and we also both played it in the championship tournament. And that's a deck I think one of the I for me is a bit of a surprise because it became over the course of the season the most popular deck.
1: Yeah, it got, like, 30 plays throughout all Season 2, which was the most played deck. And uh, did you see any red deck wins in Season 1? Not really a big amount, I don't think.
0: Not nearly as many as with Season 2. And there were different flavors. You know, some people went almost entirely with Burn as opposed to Creatures. And I think our version was about half and half, Burn and Creatures. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of different flavors, different card choices but all kind of attacking from similar angles. And one thing I did during part of the season was I played a mono-white deck that played four core Firewalker main, and that's basically a total red hoser. It's a 2-2 creature for white-white with protection from red, and whenever a player plays a red spell... You may gain a life, so it's constantly gaining life and blocking anything. It can't be blocked. It's kind of hard to kill. I mean, there are things that kill it, but uh, at least game one, I I pretty much had a buy <laughs> against those <laughs>
1: opponents. That's to so. be the, the major weakness with red deck wins. Is it can? It's probably the most hated deck, um, meta wise. And it's probably the easiest to hate against. All you need is just a a, a normal amount of life gain and you're going to get over the top of that deck.
0: <laughs> so I'll talk a little bit about how season two went for me. I first kind of really got intrigued about this format back in episode eight when Gabo was talking about these budget formats. And this one definitely stood out to me as one of the, the formats I would like to try. So I did jump into season one. I played the last event of Season 1, which was 1.16, and I played a Kitkin deck because that was something I was looking at, had a lot of powerful uncommons that it had access to, and I uh, did very well in that event. So yeah. right off the bat, I was having a good time because I was winning. <laughs> so uh, going into Season 2, I stuck with the Kitkin deck. I originally didn't have enough resources, enough tickets to make it as good as it could be, but I you know, put a bit of money into it. I started to experiment with other things, and I think it was you that kind of inspired me to try out Red Deck Wins. Yeah. And I, we both had slightly different lists, but we had a lot of the same card choices and concept going on it was like
1: 95 percent the same i would say
0: right yeah i you know i don't know the exact percentage but definitely a high percentage of it was yeah. the same and i think one of the big things about the red deck wins deck that i liked and i know you like as well is the card shrine of burning rage which game one of uh, so many decks in this format don't have any answer to once you resolve it you pretty much have inevitability and you know you're going to win, which is is a great thing to have in your deck. It's just a way to get free wins. That's so never a bad thing.
1: I still think it's the best card in the format.
0: I, I can't disagree with you. I mean, there are a lot of contenders uh, for best card, but that one's certainly uh, an all-star in the red deck for sure. Yeah. And so for me, red deck wins. I played, I think, maybe three events with it, and it was actually my worst performing deck personally. But I once again, I think it just had to do with matchups and running into decks that had life gain and things like that that kind of blew me out at, at certain points in time. I don't think it was necessarily indicative of the Deck itself. I mean, I can't really say because it's a limited sample size, right? So um, I ended up bouncing around between decks, kind of like you did, but I kind of stayed more in the my comfort zone of playing mono white. So I tried out things like Soul Sisters and a traditional, more traditional white weenie build. Uh, aside from the Kithkin tribal. And I had good success with those decks, for sure. I also tried a Mono Black Control deck, which I built at the last minute, uh, mm-hmm. right before one of the events, and I didn't do too well, though I, I, I gotta say, I think Mono Black Control actually could have some potential, and it's something I might want to revisit. But mm-hmm. overall, with the the season, I ended up in third place, which w- I thought was pretty surprising because there were a number of events I missed, and the big thing about getting these points is you just need to show up to the events, you're guaranteed a certain number of points just for playing the matches and it really adds up you don't necessarily need to 3-1 or 4-0 these events to get a a good standing so that kind of leads us up to championships before we do that let's go ahead and take uh, a quick five minute break or so and come back and discuss the championships tournament that we played in earlier this week
1: sounds good
0: All right guys, welcome back to episode 18 here. We're going to talk about Season 2 Championships for Silver Black. And essentially, I I think of this as kind of an invitational tournament. It takes the top 16 players, basically that show up for this event. If you're among the top 16 that actually show up, you can be in the invitational, the championships. And there's not really anything that you get for this besides the uh the ticket prize and the prestige of being the Season 2 champion. So this was an event that I was really geared up for, and you and I began talking about this and testing for it way long ago because we were brewing uh, even yeah. before this was really in sight, I think, for this event. Yeah,
1: we're on like 10 different decks probably throughout all of testing. We
0: definitely – with. <laughs> yeah, did you want to talk about the testing process at all, or did would you prefer to just talk about the tournament itself?
1: Uh, let's just move on with the tournament because we have some, uh, top secret stuff in there, I think. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> there's some, de- like I said, there were, there was a few times through our testing where we really felt like we were about to break the format and we're still trying to do that, I think. Part of <laughs> it is trying to do that. Uh, so there are some deck archetypes and ideas that we came up with that have a lot of potential, but we don't really want to leak out until the decks are ready. So to, needless to say, we tested a lot of different decks. There were a number of things that we were both going to play. I guess I'll, I'll just say that I settled on Red Deck Wins because I thought that it was going to have some pretty strong matchups. You know, with we talk about this big five, these five decks, and Red Deck Wins has a good matchup against all the other four decks, <laughs> which is really <laughs> interesting. You know, it has a favorable matchup. No, none of them are just... Well, with the exception maybe of spirits, which is very favorable, I think we could say none of yeah. them are just you know easy money. But you're pretty favored at least in game one, and usually if you're on the play for game one, you you're even more favored. I think going into like game three, and um, if you win the die roll, you're set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely feel pretty good about it, um, barring anything too adverse happening so that that was the main thing is i was expecting a lot of tron which i was actually incorrect about but um i think with the information we had expecting a lot of tron was was a pretty safe bet because of the the top players a lot of them had the tendency of playing tron and then you know spirit's Infect. Also, there was no Infect at this tournament because the Infect players didn't show up for it. But um, these were all matchups that we were pretty, we felt pretty good about as a red deck. I decided to play red deck wins for the tournament, and so did you. Actually, you were you were on a much different deck going into it, but uh, I think you decided that you wanted to go with something a little more solid, maybe that you had felt a little better about.
1: Yeah, I just didn't think it would be right to do anything other than Red Deck Wins after playing it like 15 times this season. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, a part of me wanted to play Kithkin just because it's what I started with. So I figured, you know, we got to make it you know, truly poetic and end it the <laughs> same way we began. I just felt like Red Deck Wins was going to be my deck for, for the tournament. I didn't have enough testing at the end of the season with Kithkin, and it had been so long since I really played it that I, I didn't feel confident enough, you know, playing it optimally. Why don't you go first and talk about uh, how the tournament went for you and you know, maybe some highlights you might have or just a summary? All
1: right. Well, uh, I didn't do quite as well as I wanted. Didn't do quite as well as you either. You did excellent. I ended up 2-2. Two and two. My first rounder against White Weenie, um, I won. I think it was in three games. Uh, that's really a 50-50 mashup, I would say. I have four of those sulfur elementals in my board that we talked about, the, the flash 3-2 guy that gives all white creatures plus one, minus one. So I think game three, I think I drew like three of those in the first three turns and dropped them all out and won the game. So kind of instant win at that, at uh, that spot. Then I lost to eventual champion PK23. He has a, is a really nice scepter deck. Uh, it's a crone scepter. Don't know what that is. Uh, artifact that costs two. You put it on the board, it imprints an instant in your hand under the converted mana cast of 2. And then you can activate that Scepter for a cost of 2, I believe. And you can use the imprinted spell. Uh It's really a good, good deck for the meta because there's not much artifact hate. So once he sticks one of those, uh, it's really hard to beat the guy. I lost that in three games. It was pretty close. And then I got to play uh Payload with the Spirits deck. And that was a really easy matchup uh, for the red deck wins. Uh, so I won that, a quick two there. And then I eventually lost a uh, Maritron in the, in the losers bracket. Not as quite as what I wanted to do, but I think I, I had a lot of fun this season. It was a nice way to wrap up playing
0: my, uh, red deck wins deck. So how'd you do Well, I, um, I definitely had high hopes going into this tournament, Obviously, the foremost thing on my mind was winning the tournament, taking it all down. And the experience was different than I could have expected, to be honest, because this was a lot more hectic, I think, than the the standard events. First of all, it was kind of a mishmash of players. Like I said, it was whoever showed up that also were the top 16 of the people that showed up ended up getting into the tournament. So there were different players than what I was expecting, different decks and that actually prompted me to unregister my deck and make a last minute change. I added an extra Dragon's Claw on my sideboard, board, which is an artifact that gains life whenever a player casts a red spell. So I was, I was ex- going into the tournament. I was expecting less other red decks. But then seeing Lord Icon, who's a player that plays red, and a couple other guys, I decided I probably just want to hedge here. And I ended up cutting a Sulphur Elemental from my board. And so that was one of the reasons that it was a bit hectic. The other reason is that these rounds actually would just start whenever both players were done with their previous round. So instead of having a round one and then waiting till everybody was finished and then we all start round two, it was sort of like, well, if James is done and his next opponent are done, they're just going to start. So you had less breathing room, you know, between rounds to really, you know, collect yourself or take a break gather your thoughts or anything so that kind of it created a bit more pressure for me and even though we were both playing fast decks i i still kind of felt like i couldn't keep up with the pace of the tournament which is kind of interesting so so for me uh was kind Interesting because my first round opponent actually didn't make it to the round in time. It just was really up in the air because my opponent didn't show up. So I ended up with a buy for round one. So that was actually nice because I got to scout a lot of the other opponents and see what they were playing and kind of see where everybody was positioned. Going into round two, that option to take out that sulfur elemental from my sideboard almost came back to haunt me because I ended up facing a mono-white deck, and it was Zoltan, and this is a player that every time I play against him, he's always playing a deck that's favored against me. When I played Kitkin, he had mono-black control with <laughs> three infests in game one, sweeping everything in my deck, and just every turn removing everything I had. And then I played him the very next week, and I was playing Red Deck Wins, I think, and he had some crazy Soul Sisters mono-like game deck. It's like perfect counter whatever I played for no rhyme or you know no set rhyme or reason to it and this was the same exact thing I had just taken out Assault for Elemental and here is a mono white deck I'm faced against and I just and I was just so set on doing well in this tournament that I really was like not gonna let him stop me and fortunately I was able to get there in game one he was really mana screwed I had a really good hand and so I just kind of outraced him and in game two I mulliganed into Assault for Elemental actually and used that I just needed one actually. Actually, um, to lock him out of the game, which was pretty sick. Going into round three, I placed Hogger. I played against Hogger, who was the mono black control deck we were talking about. That round went really well. I actually 2 0'd that one and kind of just outlasted him, had more threats than he had answers. And that takes us against the dreaded PK23, who you mentioned, who, <laughs> you know, big kudos to him. He ended up winning not only this tournament, he won the standard popper tournament on the exact same day and then just recently a couple days later won a modern event by gatherling so he right now is just destroying everything in his path One of the best players out right now. And he had a deck that just worked out so well for him. It was red, white, Isochron Scepter. And he faced three red decks out of his four opponents and beat them all. And so that was a real uh, brick wall that I ran into. So I eventually ended up playing against Nyabok, who is the guy who runs the whole event. And he was playing a variation of spirits, a little more robust. I think variation of spirits has more land, a little bit less crazy of uh, color. Requirements, I suppose, and it was fairly close. Actually, we went to three games, and I think I was just able to make some fairly, I guess, um, beneficial plays and, and get there in game three. So that actually got me into the finals. Uh, so I ended up getting second place in the finals. I, I had to face PK23 once again. I tried a new sideboarding plan. It worked a little bit better. Just didn't have enough to to really get there. And one of the big things that I didn't mention is that I my play throughout this entire. Tournament was pretty subpar, at least for my own standards. I made a lot of errors in terms of just thinking ahead and doing math, which you know this tournament kind of showed me that doing the math is something I need to start doing pretty much every turn or every other turn because I tend to make simple errors just doing it offhand or not really thinking about it. I don't take life totals into account nearly as much. And with red deck wins in this matchup, each of us are playing burn spells. Like he has Isochron Scepter that's doing burn every turn. And I have things like Shrine of Burning Rage and thinking like two, maybe one or two turns ahead even. It's something I just wasn't doing enough. And I think if I had practiced more with red deck wins specifically and not bouncing around between decks uh, in the testing, I, I think would have overcome a lot of those issues. So it's part of my poor play being the reason for it, but also just a really tough matchup and good play on my opponent's part. So he ended up taking the championship and I was in second place. Um, But I was glad I made it into the finals. I, like you, had a really good experience all throughout the season. And definitely um, just got to say thank you to you specifically, James, for all the testing you helped with, all the ideas you bounced around. We kind of are like a two-person team, I guess you could say, in this format. There aren't really a lot of people testing or playing the format even. So it's usually you and I.
1: Pretty much everyone else is competition, so I can't really test with them much.
0: <laughs> okay, um, but, you know, there are some people that help us out. Sarah from our clan as well. She plays a lot of the format, and she plays a lot of the other player-run events too. So she, she tests with us, and then 8686, who we mentioned earlier, helped out with some testing. So really just a, a big thanks to all you guys and everybody for watching the videos and stuff. As as most of you, I hope, know at this point, I post all the events on my YouTube, so you can see any of these matches that I've talked about or any of the matches I played over the course of the season are available on my YouTube page and that'll be in the show notes. So for me, you know, didn't win the tournament, but I got, you know, as close as I could without actually winning. So uh, kind of happy about that. I just wish I had played a little better so I could feel <laughs> a little bit better about myself. Uh, but yeah, that was that was the tournament for me. That's pretty much all I wanted to talk about in terms of, you know, season two championships and summarizing the format. The last thing I just uh, wanted to say is just kind of wrapping things up and talking about how we feel about Silver Black going forward. Should people play it? and what kind of things to look to for the future and as of right now i'm actually not 100% certain that there is going to be a modern silver black 3 but if there is one which i definitely think there should be because uh the format is is very healthy very interesting the gameplay i think is is great for popper players in particular because it's a similar style of game that you'll play But there's less broken things happening. So you're not going to die on turn two, pretty much 95% of your game's but you are going to get to play powerful spells. You get to play board sweepers. You get to play uh, – in some decks, you get to play big game-winning finishers. You can play very fast, aggressive decks. You can play endless amounts of ramp. You can tutor things up. You can counter spells. There's so there's a lot of room to do like pretty much anything you want to do in Magic. There is a little lack of combo currently, but there's no reason to say that that's always going to be how it is. So going forward into season three, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, hopefully it will be happening. I Like I said, I, I'm just personally not sure that it's happening. But if it is going down at Gathering.com, I'll be sure to provide more information in the future. Obviously contact me uh, if you want to know more about the format or if you want to test it. And uh, James, I'm sure, would, would also be willing to help people out. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you've been really brewing. You. I sometimes <laughs> give you a hard time about it, but you uh, you have a mind for trying to find new strategies, new interactions and things like that. This is a great format for people like that. Uh, you can definitely talk to either of us if you're interested in learning more about the format, but I would highly recommend it. Did you have any other uh, things you would want people to know about this format? Well, uh,
1: like we kind of said before, it's a really low entry point to get in. It uh, doesn't cost you anything to play the tournaments. You get payouts. We need a lot more players. It's a lot of fun. So uh, we'll hope to see you out there. And and me and you are more than uh, more than ready to test with anyone, play games. So let's see you guys out there.
0: Fantastic. So from there, we should just move out to shout outs at this point and a little bit of contact information. I'll start with how you can contact me. You can of course, uh find me on MTGO. My ID is Bamboo Rush. You can also find me on Twitter at DimeCollectorSC, YouTube.com slash DimeCollectorSC. I have over 300 videos. Uh Not all of them are magic online, but most of them at this point are magic online. Covering Silver Black, covering Popper. You can find me on mtgoacademy.com, where I write an article series called Dime a Dozen. also features some video content. And I recently wrote an article and posted some videos at blackborder.com. And that article series is called Common Ground. If you want to contact the show, you can find us at popperscage.com. Dot blogspot.ca. You can email us at popperscage at gmail.com. Uh, as far as shout outs, definitely want to shout out James for being on the show, for being such a great asset and a great friend online, helping with testing, brewing, definitely supporting each other and just kicking a bunch of ass this season. Well, well thanks for having me, Jason. Oh, absolutely, man. um I also just really quickly want to shout out to Maddie, who was on the show last time. He actually joined the Popper Gnomes Clan. And has been helping me out with uh, possibly brewing for Modern itself. I've been considering jumping into that format, so he's been giving me some advice. And want to shout out to all the listeners. I hope you guys have a great holiday season. And shout out to Gabo, of course, the the other founder of this podcast. For doing such a great job with the blog and you know staying plugged into everything we're doing, so I'll go ahead and pass it to you. Did you? Why don't you let people know how they can contact you on MTGO? Sure. Uh, my username is SirPopTart15. Uh, if you have any further questions,
1: you can email me at. Uh, joyride4115 at com and happy holidays everyone
0: all right guys thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode on the silver black format and we will talk to you guys for episode 19 take care